Hi, welcome to this week's Seacoast Vineyard Podcast, coming to you from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We hope this message will touch your life in a meaningful way and that you'll be encouraged in your journey with God. And there are some good news and some great promises in the Bible, but this is, uh, this is definitely right up there. <clears throat> what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we might too walk in newness of life. For we have... If we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ... We believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let us not sin, there, let sin therefore reign in your mortal body. To make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness." I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Everyone say amen. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, a longtime friend of the church, leader of Your Next Step Ministries, and my friend, Doug Dorman. Thank you, sir. I'll take that. Well, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that uh, it is the only truth that matters. And I ask you today to speak by your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your spirit. I ask you to rebuke the evil one, render him powerless. And I pray today that uh, you would not only give the gift of teaching, but evangelism. 
change lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as Brian mentioned, we're in the series called Mega Myths, and this is part three. Uh, today's title is I Can Do What I Want. That's uh, a phrase that is used in my house pretty frequently when we tell our kids, take out the trash or mow the grass or clean your room, and they'll say, I, I'll do what I want, which usually doesn't uh, last very long. Uh, we win. And so, <clears throat> but often that is, a, that is kind of a myth that many Christians believe. It goes kind of like this. This myth says, because of God's grace and forgiveness, I can do what I want and ask God to forgive me later. Um, very dangerous myth because it's not understanding God's grace. When you think of the word grace, turn to your neighbor for a minute and tell the first thought that comes to your mind when you hear the word grace. Just do that real quick. <clears throat> okay, how many of you thought of somebody named Grace? Anybody? Yes, that's somebody, right? Okay. How, how about if you're from the South, you know, at, at, at mealtime, you do what? You say grace. If, uh, if, if someone is uh, kind of dishonored, we disgrace them. Um, other words that come from the word grace is, uh, you know, uh, a, gr- a gratuity. Um, or if you hear the, uh, there, there's a book written by Philip Yancey called What's So Amazing About Grace? Great book, by the way. You, you may have thought of the song, Amazing Grace. The, um, <clears throat> if, if you're late on your bill, there often is a grace period. It's not quite as long as we like. <clears throat> but grace in the Bible is God's unmerited, undeserved favor. There was a band called the Newsboys from New Zealand or Australia, actually, and uh, they had this song and said, if we get, when we get what we don't deserve, it's a real good thing. When we get what we don't deserve, it's a real good thing. When we don't get what we deserve, it's a real good thing. In other words, what we deserve is eternal separation from God. That's what we deserve. We deserve hell. Because of our sin and offense to God, that's what we deserve. So when we don't get what we deserve, that's a real good thing. When we get what we don't deserve, which is God's grace, it's a real good thing. God's grace is God pouring his wrath upon Jesus Christ on the cross for my sin and your sin so that we can be made right or righteous or just before God. That's a real good thing. Well, here's how the thinking went during the day that Paul wrote this. He was telling about God's grace, and people said, that's just a scandal. Because if I can't work my way to goodness, if I can't work my way toward God, what use is it trying to do good works? Just forget it. Just be as bad as you want to be, and God will forgive you anyway. And that was the thinking. That was the the reasoning. That That was the reasoning I had as a kid. I remember going to Ocean View Baptist Church, came to Christ when I was nine years of age, and I would hear these testimonies where someone would get up and they would tell about how they were saved from a life of, of drug addiction or alcoholism or 
prostitution or whatever the, the, the name sent, which nobody confessed that there, as I recall. But they, they, there were these, you know, they would tell about their, their past life and it was real glamorous because everybody was so excited that this life had been so transformed. And I thought, well, I need to sin more <clears throat> so that I can have more grace so that I have a better testimony. Well, that's what they're thinking here in Romans chapter 5. It says, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, it's referring there to Adam and Eve's sin in the garden, because of their sin, all others followed suit. So one act of righteousness, that is Jesus' perfect sinless life, leads to justification, being made right with God. A life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came to increase the trespass. Let me say there, the, the law, the written law, the, the Ten Commandments, doesn't produce sin in us. The Ten Commandments is like a thermometer. This illustration I stole from Linus Morris, who's been a guest lecturer here many times. But Linus in his book, The Divine Expedition, which you can get in the lobby, um, he talks about the law was a thermometer. It simply measured how sick we were. It doesn't make us sick. It simply measures our sickness. And so we see here the law. Um, now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to life, eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. One or two things will reign in your life. It will rule in your life. You'll serve one of two kingdoms. You'll either serve the kingdom of sin, which leads to death, or the kingdom of righteousness, which leads to life. You, you can't serve both kingdoms. And that's the analogy that Paul uses. And then he goes on and says, but God's grace can cover all sin, all disobedience. And so the people said, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin? That grace may abound. And he says, by no means. The word to continue in sin is the same root word used in John 15 where it says, if we abide in Christ. In other words, we're going to either abide in Christ, remain in Christ, be connected to Christ, or we're going to be living, abiding, and allowing sin to reign in our life. It, it's one or the other. And then he uses this great analogy. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And when the, as Paul's writing this, he's referring to folks who would go down into the river and they would go under the water and it was a drama. It was a New Testament drama where they would be buried literally in the water as a symbol of their burial with Christ on the cross, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And that's what baptism is a symbol of. It shows the death, burial, and resurrection. He says, don't you know that all of you who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been buried with him through baptism into death in order that you may live a new life. There's a new life available to you. Um, how many of you have ordered the iPhone 5? Anybody? First service, we didn't have any takers yet. We've got one taker I see back there. You know, the iPhone 5 will be obsolete um, before long, so, uh, but I still want one. But the, the newness, 
We love things that are new. I challenge you this week, go to a supermarket, walk down the aisle, and look at how many new versions of things there are. There's new Colgate toothpaste. There's new cleaners. Everything's new, you know, despite the fact that it's always been around uh, and, and nothing's changed. If you put the word new on it, it sells. And if you listen to the radio, just flip the dial this week and listen. New country, new rock station, new... These are stations that have been around for 30, 40, 50 years, but they're all new. So the, uh, we love the word new, but here's the deal. God offers new life, and it's not a gimmick. He offers something that is really, truly new, where our life can be completely transformed and changed by him. For by grace you are saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, lest anyone should boast. And then he says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Here's the deal. Good works follows new life. It doesn't lead to new life. The problem is we try to work our way into heaven, turn over a new leaf. I'm going to have a a life change. I'm going to make a resolution. Uh, That doesn't work. You know, how many new leaves are you going to turn over? And it's about having a new life that is found in Christ and in him alone. The first point there on your outline is because of grace, I can have a new life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Look at that up on the screen. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, it's not enough to be in church. You've got to be in Christ. Are you in Christ? If you are... If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, he or she, a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The second point on your outline, if I have understood grace, if I have understood grace, I will offer myself to God. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 12, It says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. I remember a ride when I was a kid at the pavilion that would spin around and you'd enter this ride and it would spin really fast and it would throw you against the wall and you couldn't move. Any of you remember that ride? Yeah, the gravity deal and, you know, it would would throw you up there. That's the way it is when we enter into a life of sin, enter into a life of the old habits. It renders us immobile. We become slaves. And he says, don't yield your body to sin. Therefore, let, uh, let not sin, therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members at, to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members as instruments of righteousness For sin will not have dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. If you understand grace, you'll offer yourself to God. You'll offer him your eyes. You'll offer him your mind. You'll offer him your ears. You'll offer God your sexuality. You'll offer yourself to God. That's a proper understanding of grace is God, thank you so much. You've captured my life. I give my life to you. You own all of it. I give my body to you. In fact, in Romans chapter 12, he elaborates on this concept. 
And in, in chapter 12, he says this. I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice. The problem with a living sacrifice is we keep wanting to crawl off the altar. It's a daily deal. We got to get back on the altar every day. And God, I offer myself to you as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, we think of worship, and usually we'll think of the words or or actions like lifting our hands or clapping or bowing down before the Lord or singing to the Lord. And all of those biblically are included in acts of worship. But the amazing thing to me is this verse really epitomizes biblical worship. Worship in Scripture is offering ourselves to God. If you want to worship God, offer Him your body. First thing in the morning, just say, God, I belong to you. I give all of me to all of you. That's worship. Doesn't have to have a, you don't even have to have a band. Just worship the Lord by offering your body to him. This is a spiritual act of worship. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. J.B. Phillips wrote um, a, a transliteration of the Bible, a translation of the Bible back in the, I believe it was in the 50s. And when I was a kid, some of you may have, have had these same type things. My mom had these tins in the kitchen, these tin um, molds that she'd make jello with. You know, and you'd pour and have these little designs and stuff. And the, uh, the image, J.B. Phillips uses that imagery and he says this, do not allow the world to pour you into its mold. Do not allow the world to pour you into its mold but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. In Romans 6 verse 11 it says, reckon yourself dead to sin. Here's the imagery. The word reckon that's used in Romans 6 verse 11 is an accounting term. In other words, you pull out the ledger and you look back in the, in the account and you see your death certificate signed. Reckon yourself dead to sin. You know, how many of you have ever pictured Jesus on the cross? You just kind of imagine that. You've seen that in your mind. Okay, here's the imagery. You died with him on the cross. Reckon yourself dead to sin. Where it's beginning to say, you know, my life, my old life is my old life. I'm dead to sin. And begin to really break the pattern in my life and and helping others break through the pattern of sin, confess, sin, confess, sin, confess. Really, and it's not that we reach this level of sinless perfection. That doesn't happen until we die and go to be with Jesus. But the pattern of continual habitual sin can be altered. And for me, that, that took place when I began to take that passage, Romans 6, and say, God, I reckon myself dead to sin and began to identify with who am I in Christ? Who are you in Christ? And really picturing what God has done in the cross for each of us. If you've understood grace, you'll offer yourself to God. You'll say, God, I I offer me to you. Bill Bright, in his, um, and what's that image after this, uh, uh, that we have? Yeah, of God, I just uh, offer myself to you. I'm yours. And when, you, when Bill Bright was, um, started a ministry called Campus Crusade for Christ, it's now known as CRU, 
It's uh, one of two of the largest Christian organizations in the world, over 20,000 employees with Youth with a Mission and also with Crew, and had the opportunity of networking with Crew in Ethiopia and Rwanda and doing some ministry with them there years ago. But Bill Bright, in his early 30s, um, had a decision to make. He was an entrepreneurial business leader who had been extremely successful in Southern California, and he was also a committed Christian. And so he had to make a choice. Is, it gonna, is my life going to be about success or is it going to be about significance? Am I going to give my life to success or to significance? And one day he came home from a busy day at work and God had just continued to deal with him and he comes in and he kneels down in his bed and he says this prayer, God, I am your slave. I am your slave. Whatever you want to do through my life, I'm available to you. The only way to break the pattern of sin, confess, sin, confess, is to offer ourselves as slaves to God. It's to offer our life as completely obedient to whatever he wants to do in our life. I encourage you to do that either today during the service or when you get home this afternoon. Get alone with God and say, God, I'm your slave. That's a prayer that I pray before the Lord regularly of God, I'm your slave. In fact, when I heard Bill Bright present this, uh, tell that talk, he was in his late 80s, early 80s, I guess. He was in a wheelchair on oxygen at the, uh, in, in Atlanta, Georgia, huge conference, and he was being presented with an award by, by uh, John Maxwell. <clears throat> and it looked like this Emmy Award, and he, he leads, he, Maxwell reads all the accolades of Bill Bright's life, and they show this five-minute video of how many millions of people have come to Christ through his ministry. And he lead, reads all these accomplishments and presentations that he had received. And, <clears throat> and Bill says to John, he said, you left one off. And John looked kind of shocked, you know, like we thought we covered everything, uh, Bill. And he said, I'm a slave of Christ. He said, none of those other things matter. I'm a slave of Christ. You're going to either be a slave of sin or a slave of Christ. When you look at, uh, you know, Bob Dylan had it right. Bob Dylan's 71 years old now. He just wrote, uh, he produced another album called Tempest, which is available in music stores. And, uh, but Bob Dylan in 1979 wrote a song called, you're going to serve some, you got to serve somebody. You know, you'll either serve the devil or you'll serve the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. And it's true for each of our lives. If you understand grace, you'll offer yourself to God. Having offered myself to God, this is your third point. I will live a fruitful life. Having offered myself to God, I will live a fruitful life. The end of that, Romans 6, says it this way. Verse 20. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. This is one of my favorite passages. When you hear it, you'll say, I knew that Doug was sick, 
I didn't realize he was this sick, but this is one of my favorite passages. And um, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9 says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And you say, and that's your favorite verse. <clears throat> well, it's my favorite because of this, verse 11. And such were some of you. You know, Paul, you get this image of Paul. He knows his audience. He knows this church he's speaking to. And he says, let me give a list. And I'm sure he's thinking, okay, that's Steve and John and Mary and Sue. And, you know, he, oh, yeah, I need to include them in the list. And so he lists their sins. And he says, uh, such were some of you. He has intimate knowledge of the congregation. He said, this is what your life was like before. For him, he was a murderer. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. In Galatians, he continues this theme of the old life and the new life. And this first few verses won't be on the screen, but then in verse 19, it will be. But I want to paint this picture for you. In Galatians chapter... Uh, 5 verse 16 says, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy. Um, many of you asked about my trips this summer, and I thank you. It was a great summer. I uh, had the privilege of going and studying at Oxford for a week and then going to France and visiting with some missionaries there and visiting with other missionaries in Spain and then going to India and vi visiting with some leaders there of a movement uh, that God's doing in India. And speaking of jealousy, you may be jealous now. And, um, <clears throat> but I remember my own jealousy as a, a week before some of those trips. I had driven across the United States with two of my sons in a, a 2004 Volkswagen Jetta and was just proud to have a new vehicle for, for Nate and uh, driving straight drive, which I love. And so we're driving across the country. But then I get to these uh, locations, especially in England, and I see Maseratis and Lamborghinis and Morgans and Austin, you know, and, and, and suddenly jealousy, acts of the flesh, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, <coughs> that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. Now, I would meet Christians and counsel with Christians for years who had this struggle. They say, you know, I've yielded my life to Christ. I've been baptized, but I really blew it this last week. I, I yelled at my dog or something, you know, or I, uh, I, I looked at pornography again, or I lied, I cheated. Um, maybe I'm not even a Christian. And I know that wouldn't be true of any of you that you've ever felt those things, but I know I sure have struggled with you know, if I'm really a follower of Jesus, why do I screw up so much? Well, there are two things that you need to ask. One is, are you in Christ? It may very legitimately be that you know about him and don't know him. And that is a very legitimate question, foundational question.
But a second thing can also be true, and with many of the people I've worked with through the years, this has been true. They were in Christ, but they were yielding their life to sin. And so there was this pattern of habitual sin in their life where it was sin confessed, sin confessed, and they felt trapped. And for many of you, that's where you are today. In fact, there are three audiences here today. There are those who don't know Christ. You're, you're not yet convinced. You're separated from God. You don't know the new life of which we speak. But there are others who are convinced but confused. And so you're, you're in this warped zone of struggle. And then there's this third audience that is an audience that says, you know, I'm beginning to bear fruit. I'm seeing some really good things in my life, and I'm excited about that. And I want to move from bearing fruit, as it says in John 15, to bearing more fruit, to bearing much fruit. By this, you'll prove that you're my disciples, that you'll bear much fruit. God wants you to live a fruitful and meaningful life. Here's the problem. Look at these two images. A life that is rooted in sin bears fruit. It bears fruit of, as we read in the list, divisions, dissension, jealousy, envy. In Christ, the sin root is severed. The key isn't picking fruit at the top. The key is making sure foundationally we've been repotted. We've been put in new soil from in sin to in Christ. The second image is those that are rooted in grace will begin to, begin to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, in increasing measure. Which best represents your life today? Are you bearing fruit for righteousness or is it still bearing fruit in the wrong directions? Which of the three categories describes your life? Are you not yet convinced? Don't have new life? Convinced but confused? Continue to struggle in that sin-confessed cycle? Or three, beginning to bear fruit but really want to yield your life to bear more fruit and bear much more fruit? In a few moments, we'll have, uh, we'll, as we close this service, we'll have prayer teams on the side Everyone in here is in one of those three categories. It may be a matter of you simply dealing before God directly and saying, God, here I am. This is the category I'm in. I don't know you, but I want to. God, I'm continuing to fail, and I want to break the cycle, or I want to bear more fruit. So as the prayer teams, if you'll go ahead and get in place, the prayer teams, um, when you go, if you go to them for prayer this morning, Just go to them and say, hey, I don't know God and I need to if you're in category one. If you're in category two, say, I'm confused because I continue to struggle with these habits that I just can't break. Or, hey, I'm bearing some fruit, but I really want to be more fruitful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know where each of us really is. We can't fool you. And I pray that those who do not know you, who are not yet convinced, 
that they walk out of here today with a new life. Knowing that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of their sins, is available through Christ alone. For those here today that that really are just struggling with growing in grace, I pray that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit and break the cycle of sin. For those who are bearing fruit, good fruit, I pray that there would be an increase for more fruit and much fruit. In Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and were perhaps even challenged in some way to continue pursuing a closer relationship with God through Jesus. Here at Seacoast Vineyard Church, our vision is to worship God with passion, to reach out in Jesus' name with compassion, and to mature as a people of power and purpose. For more information, including our location and gathering times, visit www.seacoastvineyard.com.